This week on the Sport Blokes. This week, the Nuggets sweep and the Heat narrowly avoid unwanted history as the finals are set. Some quick hits in the AFL and Roland Garros. And friend of the show, Alex Loughton, gives us his thoughts on the NBL offseason. Oh, he sure did. Lots of great insights as always. Let's go. It's 14 minutes past nine on Thursday, the 1st of June, 2023. Stewie's with me. I am. Holy We've just wrapped with Al, haven't we? Alex Loughton. We have. Massive, massive chat. Yes, it really was. <laughs> it really was. So we'll stretch that across a few episodes, probably, well, definitely more in the next one than this one. Yep. We have a few little NBL tidbits this week and then next week, a bit more This Is Your Life stuff with Alex, because even though it's the fourth time he's been on the show, he's never really gone through that, but that was a lot of fun, wasn't it? A lot it was, of interesting stuff. Just want to go Apart from me stuffing up his yeah, career higher. Yeah. It was bound to happen. It's like when you actually know the person, you do less research and yeah, I took my foot off the pedal there. No, so cool. Apologies. I do want to go back for a second. First profanity of the episode. Fuck, is it June already? Yeah, I know. What is going on with the world? I know, I know. Well, I think was a the older you get, the quicker it goes. A song like the years start coming and they don't stop coming. Uh, hey, hey now, now you're, a you're an all-star. Mm, well, very good. Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> But thank you to you wherever you are. Thank you for liking and subscribing, whether you're a first-time listener, a semi-regular listener, a regular listener. A massive thank you to all of our guests lately. So we had Steve McCracken talking AFL Europe in episode 150, Casey Frank in episode 152, and Liam Santamaria last week in episode 153. What a listen that was, eh? All of them. Fantastic. Yes, yes. Well put. Yes. They were all very, very good. Now, unfortunately, following on from that, Ron Holland has signed with the G League Ignite. Boo! Unfortunately, Boo. yes, ruined our exclusive that wasn't an exclusive. It wasn't an exclusive by, by the time you had it. Yeah, no, well, and we knew that would happen as well. <laughs> Love it. But what is interesting, Jalen Bridges may be coming to the NBL. So there's still, I think there might still be a next star or two to sign up before the season begins with any luck. Mm. So we'll keep our fingers crossed there. Now, speaking of Liam Santa Maria, Stewie, I realized that he never finished his story. About oh, the Rick Mahorn story. About Rick Mahorn. And we're big Simpsons fans here. So, wait, I need closure on that anecdote. <laughs> so, oh, so good. So, I tweeted him, I, I tweeted him that day afterwards. I said, Yeah, g'day, Liam. I realized while doing the editing, we never actually got whether or not Rick Mahorn gave you that autograph. Did he leave you both terrified and autographless? And he said, I can't remember. Massive laugh emoji. Don't think I got it. So oh, insult and injury there, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so there you go. But yeah, go back and listen to that. It was great. Jeremy Friedman, by the way. That's the name of the pimply teenager on The Simpsons. Ah, Jeremy Friedman. Yep. Makes sense. Friedman. I yeah, know, yeah, like yeah, Fry- yeah. Brilliant. <laughs> they never miss a, a trick, those Simpsons. Uh, well, not in the old days. Well, yeah. Opening bounce, just a whole bunch of this, that, and the other. I, I wanted to also mention, when we talked about that Michigan State team, we didn't even talk about Adam Ballinger who yeah. plays here in Australia. Course, yeah. Dave Thomas was on that team too. Yes, too, yeah. He had a decent career in the NBL. Yeah, solid with the Melbourne Tigers. Yeah. So anyway, it's been it's been an interesting few weeks, hasn't it? We've been very basketball focused. While Adelaide couldn't find the 53,500 needed to hit capacity for game one of State of Origin, some 5,000 odd short. Meanwhile, the IPL had a reserve day for the final. That was required. I've watched very little IPL, I've got to say. Watched You've watched more than me. A bit in recent times. Been some massive, massive innings. Cam Green had an absolute belter. I was actually more impressed, though, with Sean Abbott. Sean Abbott, yeah. yeah. I just saw you in our chat. You were like, Sean Abbott with a million exclamation marks. I was like, why? Wow, what do you do? All, all uppercase. <laughs> yeah, it's 22 of 16 and then ends up with a 34-ball ton. Yeah, that's 78 nuts. of 18 balls. That's incredible. Ridiculous. That is, that is ridiculous. Yeah. Did you see the final or anything about the final? Uh, I watched a little bit of it. It was on quite late. So I watched Gujarat bat. Um, they batted incredibly well. Probably deserved to win, to be honest. It's never never nice when it's a, a rain-interrupted match. No. And, you know, Huey, Dewey, Lewis. Yeah, bloody... yeah. Sorry. I, sh- I, I know it's the Duckworth-Lewis. We no, just... well, we've always called it that. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah. So it's yeah, it's disappointing, but it is what it is. At least it wasn't boundaries. Uh, count back. In the AFL world, the much-anticipated release of AFL 23, the computer game, had to be delayed several weeks due to bugs. It, was, it wasn't until week seven or eight, round seven or eight, that it came out, I think. Was that Tom Bug? Yeah, basically. The uh, yeah. GWS, wasn't he? Former GWS in Melbourne player. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. There you go, Tom Bogue. Kaiko stepped down at Hawthorne while Daniel Kerr is burning down the house. Quite literally. 
Yeah, not a smart move. No, but at least his sister Sam's going a bit better. So she scored her fifth goal in three matches after booting the winning score in Chelsea's 1-0 FA Cup final over Man U. And she also took the Football Writers Association Player of the Year award. So good on Sam Kerr. She is continuing to, well, with the Women's Soccer World Cup not far around the corner, she will be possibly the biggest female sports star we have in this country. She's a reasonable player, isn't she? Oh, she's fantastic. Yeah. Does a decent backflip too after for a celebration. Go soccer. Good. Yeah, that's about as good as my my soccer is. Oh, now Swampy. I don't know if you saw this one. This is classic. So still side bottom played his 300th game. Was it last weekend? Recently, anyway. Did you know he was actually voted name of the year in an international competition in 2010? I did not know that. No. So 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 Swamp Thing tweeted some of the. You're gonna love this. You love names. I do love name. He tw- he tweeted the finalists from that year or contenders from that year. Spontaneous Gordon. <laughs> Napoleon Einstein, Wave Rider, Rider with a R-Y-D-E-R, like Jesse Rider, the former. Planned Gordon. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yes, yes. Or regimented Gordon. Regimented, yeah, yes. Yeah, that, yeah. That's probably better. Uh, cinnamon Crab. <laughs> cinnamon spelt differently. Like Bubba Gump's freaking. <laughs> yeah. It's something you'd see on their menu. Alan Crab's cousin. Uh, not really. Starzan Stipes. No. Starzan <laughs> Yeah, stars and stripes. Yeah, stripes, not stripes. That's hilarious. No, Jay Nimpson. I didn't know Nimpson was a surname, but there you go. Nimpson. Doctor Speedy Nuts. <laughs> Still side bottom. I know. Movie. I know. He's like last in this list. I know. It's spontaneous, Gordon. Surely. Brilliant. Uh, Charity Beaver. I mean, there's two dollar peeps, and then there's <laughs> then there's Charity Beaver. She's literally giving it away. Yeah, there's Revenge Sex, and then there's Charity Beaver. Um, and then Banana Yaya. <laughs> so still 300 well done to him banana yaya Dure. yeah or yaya dear if you want and and you'll love see the tweet underneath it it's a picture of head and shoulders shampoo and what's coming out of the bottle is a bunch of different heads and shoulders oh lovely <laughs> wow uh and then oh yeah i probably should have planned this a bit better mm. uh rest in peace jim brown yes levity too yeah not so yeah good. and tina turner too because she obviously had this really cool connection with the what's now NRL, Winfield Cup back in the mm. late 80s, early 90s. We remember the well, Simply the Best Simply campaign. Simply the Best is one of the biggest, probably one of the biggest rugby songs, but one of the bigger Australian sports songs. Oh, it's fantastic. It, yeah. It is pretty, uh, pretty decent. Brilliant. What you got, mate? Look, for me, there's there's a lot of stuff going on. I mean, the French Open's just started. Already some massive casualties. I mean, Daniel Medvedev lost in the first round, which is ridiculous. Stanford Brinker lost to Tanasi Kokonakis in a five-setter, an absolute marathon. But the thing that I found absolutely crazy was the story of Hugo Gaston. So he's been playing in the Madrid Masters in the last week, got to the second round, playing Borna Choric. He was getting beaten. And last point of one of the sets, he's thrown up this ridiculously high lob, pretty much turned his back and gone, you know what, point's over. I'm just going to start walking to the chair. And he's taken the ball. You know, the players, when they serve, they leave the ball in the pocket. I know this one. I saw it. taken the ball out and just dropped it on the ground, basically saying, yeah, the point's over. But by doing that before the point was officially finished, it's basically characterized as unsportsmanlike. The fine that he had was the equivalent of about 233,000 Australian dollars. Yeah, it's steep, isn't it? For dropping a ball. Yeah, so this is interesting. So obviously you've probably looked at it closer than I. I just assumed it was a horrible act on his part to try and manipulate the umpire but you think it was actually an innocent mistake because he thought the point was over well, you can see he's put the ball I'm like okay yes the ball's gone over but he's basically conceded the point you can see his head goes down right. a little bit he drops the ball right. now, see i only watched footage once this is a cumulative thing though so it's his fourth unsportsmanlike conduct violation this season right and it results in a fine of nearly a quarter, quarter of a million yeah. it's absurd wow like it's absolutely it's shit house quite frankly and there's a few guys that have come out in defense and uh benoit pair probably one of the more sort of notable guys and it's i mean this is pretty much the entire amount of money that he has made this season yeah right, right. so you imagine how much money you've made from your job and you dropped a tennis you ball, a ball on the yeah, ground. yeah yeah uh, I mean, there'd often be, um... there'd be questions asked yeah yeah and imagine then just well i always carry around a tennis ball who doesn't 
You never know when it might come in handy. Good point. You might want to play stretch or something. Oh, just looking for a second serve. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, enough of that bullshit. Yeah, a lot of bullshit. Let's move on. So let's throw to the Alex chat now. A few bits and pieces from the NBL. The bulk of our conversation will appear in next week's episode, as I said. A bit of other stuff will appear in our draft episode, which I believe will be the following week. In a couple of weeks' time, the draft's in, what, 22nd of June or thereabouts, 21st? Anyway, he'll have some draft thoughts just like our other interviewees will have as well. I should so not, I we'll should... have three consecutive weeks of Alex. I should bloody know when it is because the 22nd of June is my wedding anniversary. Oh, there you go. I'm one of the small percentage of blokes who actually knows it off the top of their head. Oh, there you go. <laughs> there you go. So anyway, here's Alex. Enjoy the listen and then we'll come back and talk some NBA. Well, we're absolutely delighted to have our next guest on, aren't we, Stewie? He started all but four of his 124 games at Old Dominion University, where he was not only an academic All-American, but also once dropped a 40 on Charlotte, before trying his hand at the NBA Summer League and Europe, before a very successful career here in the NBL, where he played 311 games with Perth and Cairns, not to mention some boomers representation in there too. A very special sport blokes welcome to Alex Loughton. Hey, g'day guys. Uh, you missed one thing. It was 45 points, not 40, but that's 45, okay. was it? Oh, wow. I'm sorry. Double I overtime against Double overtime against UNC Charlotte, December 2000 and uh, whatever, three or four. I'm giving That's him, terrible. I'm giving He's him giving a, me the look. I'm giving yeah. him a death stare like, how dare you not <laughs> check that? <laughs> now, we will, we will get there. What we might do, we might just throw some names at you. We've got Ariel Hunt-Porty, who's just coming off a year off with injury. It's an interesting spot for him. Joe Luala-Chul coming back into the league as well. Matthew Delavadova, his running mate from that previous season coming back. So what do you think Huck Porty's chances are of making it? Huck Porty, I'm telling you right now, Huck Porty is an absolute specimen. And the, the, he is uh, a massive body, a massive frame, and so much stronger than um, Joe Luella Chul will be able to sort of be. And so obviously JLA's gone away and come back, uh, not had a, the success he was looking for. So he's come back to the fold. Delavadova obviously keen to to run it back with that squad there. But Huck Porty, and this is from Dave Barlow as well. So before the games, I spoke to Dave Barlow and I was doing a bit of the sideline commentary. I was like, what you know, what what's he like? Or what's what's what do you see? Because he's he's training with him every day. And he's like, he's never seen anybody like Huck Porty that is physique um and, and what his ability is uh, and his skill set. So I think Huck Porty's in for a pretty good year. His his ceiling is just um we don't know. We don't know how good he can be. I just know that I think this is probably a year where he overtakes JLA. JLA is very polished. I want him on my team, no questions asked. But Huck Porty's a bigger, stronger, more athletic kind of guy. Uh, and I think um, so much upside. So I'm really excited to see him come back. So a guy in Cairns who I'm a massive fan of, Sam Wardenberg. Yeah, he he's like, this is a super smart player uh very high iq obviously very handy not tall enough to be your standout five and go to the the, the higher heights um he's about 610 six not really 611 i don't think but 610 can shoot the three and very smart an absolute crucial player to retain for the type ends his game will will continue to evolve as well um, and i think he's got the brains to know where he'll need to improve um probably getting a bit more bit more sort of strength in there and leaning leaning down a bit as well like where you you know you sort of lose that sort of puppy fat type sort of body and you get that kind of chiseled strong and really light um uh, and, and athletic sort of as best you can body that can handle the rigors of the season and you know and he'll throw his hat into the ring for europe and and summer leagues at some point and and yeah just that brain, that that smart, I think is a pretty dangerous uh, weapon in, in terms of this game uh, as a big. So, yeah, looking forward to seeing his game this year. And obviously, depending on what Cairns do with their imports, he could have a, a very, very big load put on his shoulders, depending on, obviously, as I say, which direction they go. They needed height and they got that seven foot two guy who can deliver a bit more uh, and something unique. Last year, they had five guys about six foot nine, six ten, and so they cannibalized um, Deng Deng's contract. Really, um, they, they've tried to get a bit of bit more diversity this year, so I guess it's better that way. Um, but yeah, Wardenberg's going to be crucial, um, and, and losing Pinder was just just the worst thing that could ever happen to Taipans because he doesn't take up the import spot. 
um, that that was something that they really needed to get onto early, and they they've lost that one. So that's going to really hurt. That's going to really hurt the chemistry, the makeup of that upper level type ends team from last year. It's going to be really hard to replicate that because you you you're down Australian talent when you're down Australian or New Zealand like local talent. That was the spot that was absolute top priority, um, and yeah, not happening. So you know that that's an opportunity lost. While we're on the Taipans, maybe we'll stick with them briefly. So it almost seems like this team and maybe the strategy and maybe it's because of the market, it would be interesting to see what your insights are and your thoughts. But it's almost like they're they're approaching the really young players. They're trying to get a lot of college players. And it's almost, I don't even know how to explain it, but they, they really obviously struggle to compete with the richer clubs. And so they have to come up with a different strategy in order to field a really good team. So, for example, my understanding is Taron Armstrong might even start. I think he could. I mean, Ben Eyre was promising. I think Ben Eyre wanted more offensive input. Coach Ford wanted more discipline and and getting the the gameplay sort of sorted, uh, just be a ball distributor. Obviously, Ben felt like he was a bit more of an offensive threat and wanted that freedom. So he he's out. But Armstrong is is that distributor. He is that pass first guard, uh, and he's got some serious passing skill. Uh, so his game will translate probably very well. But if you need the you need the characters in the receiver spots that can do their things, you needed that Pinder type style, a guy that can finish. Um, you you need guys ready to be on the receiving and that that can knock down a three. Taji McCall cannot knock down a three. He, he's a you know, he will take the ball to the rack and Euro step his way to, to glory. But you speak about the 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 makeup and it's almost all younger development with one player like Taji McCall, who is also young, as your your superstar. You need three horses in the stable plus your peripheral players. So if they retained Pinder, if they retained Hogue and had McCall and then get a really good point guard. You can still do your development side of things, your Taron Armstrongs and all that. You can still do all that, Sam Waterberg. There's just an opportunity lost there that they've just gone all all younger guys thinking, all right, we're going to get all the development guys in and and get some um uh some wins on the board and and be you know in, in top four uh, when it's time to, to go to postseason. It's like there's too many big names just gone, and it's going to be really hard to replace with any type of quality. Uh, and get that chemistry that was that they worked so hard for last year. So you know it's it's really it's really hard to go get excited about you know the the product. You, you go you're back to square one in terms of going. All right, well let's let's support them and hopefully they develop and blah blah blah. But you know I think there's there's there should be a way there should be a mindset of going. Hang on, here's an opportunity here. If we retain these two or three guys or, or get a really good point guard in that can, you know, with worth the money, and then you surround it with your guys like Taron Armstrong and all that guys that are coming in, you're actually back to being a really high caliber product and and potential sort of top four kind of thing, which gets the fans excited, gets bums on seats. You know, it's it's just, it's 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 painful to watch when, um, you know, you lose a pinder. You, you lose those guys. So anyway, it, look, it's it's one of those things, you know, you can't change it now. So let's hope that they can, um, you know, deliver some some good basketball. Continuity is really interesting in the NBL, isn't it? Because you see teams like Sydney and, okay, the budget helps, but they can interchange so many players. Obviously, this offseason, they're missing a lot of starters, but they'll probably still field a very good team. And is there fatigue from the fans in Cairns? Like with history repeating itself, I don't know. It'd be really interesting to know how the how the fans feel about this kind of constantly having the team gutted and DJ Hogue's gone and here we go again. It would be deflating for a lot of fans. There'll be a percentage that still rock up. So out of your 5,000 fans at the stadium, 1,200 will continue to rock up every game. Problem is you need more than 1,200 to break even. You need a lot more fans. And the rest of the 5,000, so the 3,800, they are fatigued and they are they are angry if if the team doesn't perform and sorry maybe not angry but they won't show up they won't show up if the team doesn't perform so a, a lot is at stake by not having a team that that produces on the floor and, and we're yet to know if this one can we, we all trust ford that he can do the job and all that sort of stuff but there's a lot of big contributors that are gone that will need that that hole will need to be filled 
and it's going to be filled by unknowns and unproven's and so that's the hard part is that's the bridge they'll have to gap if they want to win the hearts and minds of that 3800 they don't have to worry about the 1200 that will show up anyway but you're right it, you're absolutely right it's going to be a lot of that mindset that will have people asking questions at the start of the season now, unfortunately, we do have to talk about young Keanu Pender. He is part of a trio of guys that we did want to talk about. So Keanu Pender, David Aquera, and Alexander Saar all coming into Perth this season. What do you make of all three of those guys? Yeah, I, I don't know too much about the other two, uh, but if I just focus on Keanu, for instance, like this is the guy that nobody wanted, including myself, uh, two years ago or three years ago, you know, that year in Adelaide, we all said, Oh, gee, he's super athletic. It's a shame that he can't finish. Um, it's a shame there's no polish to his game. Nobody wanted to pick him up. Coach Ford saw an opportunity and had had some knowledge about his work ethic and all that stuff and, and wanted to give him a chance. And somehow, some way, this guy, this dude, finds a level of polish and a level of finish and turns into an absolute stud within one year. Two points going up to 11 points a game. Most improved. Are you serious? Nobody wanted him the year before. You, it, you don't just get touch. Like players don't just get touch around the rim and, and suddenly find a way to finish. Like that doesn't happen. You, you've either you got hooves for hands and you can't have any touch at all. You know, you see those guys like, ooh, ooh that's a bit of an ugly shot. But the finesse required and the skill set required for that level of finish and that level of polish is crazy because it's turned around within the space of, you know, nine, 12 months. And then to back it up, to go from 11 points a game to six, 17 points a game, that's crazy. Like, that's crazy to go back to back most improved. So now it's the next level. The athleticism matched the level of polish, the level of finish, and now he's this absolute stud and so, so important to retain, but that doesn't happen. So Perth have a great get. Um, they got a really and, and this is a guy that's it's not Pinder. This is Keanu forging his own path. And that there's a big difference. I think he, he's fatigued from, you know, uh, transgressions of, of previous um, name with Pinder. Um, he's forging his own path. Make no mistake about that. And he's really mature uh, and, and he's a really good character. Like he's a really good character. Um, that that I think is a is great role model type stuff for for the kids and I think it's perfect position for him in Perth he'll, he'll love it he's already spoken about how good it feels to be over there amongst friends and family and I think I think he's ready for a really good year one of the pieces of news well actually I might tie this together because it's interesting so on one hand Mitsubishi's back on board and that was the major sponsor in our childhood <laughs> which is really interesting the Mitsubishi challenge the Mitsubishi and all challenge. that challenge yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then the other thing kind of going in hand in hand with that is that Larry Kestelman is eyeing, and I quote, aggressive expansion, wanting 13 to 15 clubs in the next five years. So in the last couple of weeks, we've had the pleasure of chatting with Casey Frank and Liam Santamaria, and it was interesting talking to them about the good old days, but also some of the bad of the good old days, like yourself talking about the league nearly folding. Uh, yeah. Is this too aggressive? We'd be really interested to know your thoughts on expansion. And we're also interested that the Gold Coast gets bandied around a lot, but there's also a lot of people say the Gold Coast is where professional sport goes to die. But there seems to be a lot of people that still think the Gold Coast can work. Uh, yeah, it's it does depend on how good your club makeup is. Like if it's at the uh, mercy of some wealthy businessman that, you know, they, they flip and change their mood all the time. They go, hmm. I'm going to have a club today, boom, uh, massive amount of effort, massive amount of work, a lot of staff, a lot of, you know, build up. Mm, I'm going to fold the club today. Oh, there it goes. You know, like it it, it can live and die. And a lot of those business guys seem to to love the Gold Coast uh, for that lifestyle. And, and so you don't, you don't want a situation like that where all right aggressive expansion to 13 teams and that but then they come and go that that's that's not good it's, i think it's got to be done more how it's you know how how tasmania came in it was a build-up it was a you know it's a, a whole community getting behind it so it's got to be done right you can't just fang it and you know but there's not many big metro areas that could support um a team anymore if they're 
if they're talking Asia and all that, I get I get what they're saying there. That that's probably where their heads at is like those big markets. They all want a piece of the Asia market, and by that it means getting the games broadcast over there to an interested population of two hundred million in Indonesia. Or, you know, got their eye on the prize. But then when you do that, you're gonna um, potentially have other issues. So in terms of the expansion, is it just Australia, New Zealand? Is it more obviously to Asia where the money is? I'd say that's what the thinking is. If he's got having a piece of the pie of uh, such a massive population in that part of the world and then how do you leverage how do you leverage the league off that how do you make money off that that's ultimately what it comes down to i mean this is a dude that bought the league for you know was it five or seven million or something the whole league back in a while ago and and spent a lot of money for a lot of years uh, and absorbed a lot of costs and now he's ready to make a return uh, on that investment and and more power to him he's, he's done a great thing for the league uh, in a lot of different ways. Um, but now it's getting to the point where if there is a $45 million ESPN deal in place and the teams get nothing out of that, then then there's going to be issues because the teams can't afford the... In, in the NRL, for instance, every team gets $17 million back from um, the TV rights to pay for their players. Think about that. Every NRL, NRL team gets $17 million back from the league from TV rights which then goes to pay for the good players and retain players and keep them in Australia. Right now for the NBL, if it's a $45 million ESPN deal and there's nothing coming back to the teams, they're not going to be able to afford those big name players uh, and keep the league continuing on. So there's gonna there's a bit of a, a crossroads here and all the power is with the, the league at the moment. There's no sort of power with the clubs in some way unless they find a way, but there's got to be something there where there's money flowing back from those TV deals because the clubs are just di- dipping into their own pocket right now. So yeah, there's a there's there's a lot of things that got, that are starting to come to play now that weren't on the table before because the league wasn't successful. Now that it's run by a, a business, now it's run by successful businessman that's doing a lot of good things. Now there's a chance to keep keep it going. But if you if all the money comes back to um, you know to their pockets, then the product will miss out, and teams like the Taipans will really miss out. Teams like Sydney will be able to play the game, but you, you don't want a such a big divide. The NRL is able to get talent across all teams because of that money flowing back, uh, and that keeps the competitive play uh, a lot better. Speaking of Sydney, they've lost their head coach. They've only got two starters. Okay, Hogan and Vasiljevic are pretty good, <laughs> but. Gee, that three-peat, it's going to be tough, isn't it? It would be tough for the guy coming in. Um, you know, a lot of expectation. Um, you know, was was Chase Buford that good a coach? I don't think he was as good as Will Weaver or some other, you know, really intelligent brain. The, the money and the, the caliber of player, uh, I think, if you put that in front of any coaches, they're going to uh, be able to get something done. So, yeah, I think, no, I don't want to take anything away from from Chase, he's come from a good pedigree uh, in the, in the NBA. Um, he's got he's got the job done, whether you whether you like it or not. I think he's, he's you know he's proven himself. But uh, I can tell you now that the money and the players that came through that door, and then the injury replacements that came through when those stars got injured, mate, like that's like having ten million dollar chips at the at the final poker table, and everyone else coming in with a million. It's a numbers game uh, and a quality of caliber of player game. Uh, if you're going to afford it, then you're going to put yourself in such a massive advantage. Um, so it's sort of, yeah, they, they've done well. They've done well. Yeah, I've, I've always said that I think Chase Buford was a, a much better manager of players than he was a coach. I think his players love him. His players yeah. do because yeah. he goes into bat for them and it's that whole us against them mentality. It will be interesting to see who comes in next and how they relate to the players the same way. You know, we sort of talk about uh, you know, the quality of a coach and, and how well they resonate with their players can be huge to the success. And high expectations. Yeah, no, massive expectation. If the chips are down and your your team's not as expensive on paper, then you better be, you better be damn good on communication and team culture. Um, you better have good accountability. Uh, then you got to have good X's and O's. So I judge him on those three types of things. Chase Buford, did he have X's and O's? Um, yeah, a little bit of that on the court. Did he have communication and good culture? I think the players liked him, but winning does cure everything. And was he good with accountability? We don't really know that um, unless we, we go behind closed doors. But like I said, the the expensive 
budget and the the players that you get in you know that winning with those kind of guys that, that does cure that does cover up a lot of the potential you know shortfalls of a coach um, it's very very handy to have uh, those kind of players rolling through the door well Alex thank you so much you've been super generous with your time as you always are time just goes so quick no no I'm sorry I talk- can get talking a bit too much so it's gone a bit too long <laughs> no not at all no we love it we, we can't wait to have a beer with you in person whenever that may be christmas time or who knows when that will be but we can't wait for that we we'd love for you to perhaps plug your basketball clinics you've been doing and any other plugs or any other shout outs you want to give oh yeah yeah so um, yeah, a bit of a giving back thing um so i run Loughton 40 hoops uh and uh I, I go to a couple of schools every term we do a six-week basketball program and it's really about a groundswell of getting kids excited about playing hoops so one of the schools per term is a like a lower socioeconomic um, school and that's a free program because i've got a few sponsors on board um and the other one is like a paid program so user pay um, sort of thing and uh, yeah we, we have a lot of fun and and parents just want their kids to get excited about a sport and uh, and I I know I deliver it you know with a bit of fun and a bit of flair and always have that competition element to it so by week four of a six-week program uh, we're playing full court games uh, these are brand new kids that haven't played before so I'm really really proud of that and uh, we give them all a ball a drink bottle um, you know t-shirt and um, and uh, just some info on where to sign up for a real basketball season on, on the real court so yeah, a lot of fun, a lot of energy from the kids. But yeah, it's a good, just a good thing that keeps me connected and uh, give back a bit. So uh, it's loudon40hoops.com. Yeah, lo- love everyone to check it out. Obviously, if you're in, if you're in the Cairns area, if you're not at your school, let me know. Let's get there and get there to your school. Bloody oath, we'll get those details and we'll pop them in the description of this episode as well. Yeah, no, it's so great you. to see, you know, someone who's had so much given to them by the game to, to be able to give that back and, and yeah, really appreciate yeah, the grassroots. I love it. Yeah, no, it's it's a lot of fun. I get a lot of enjoyment out of it. Yeah, and just kind of just keeps you grounded a bit. You know, the kids are a great value, good energy, like I said. And, um, and, and when you see one that goes, you know, I'm so excited and the parents go, oh, they, they just want to play more, like actually join a team now. I'm like, oh, that's great because that's the whole point of it. Someone that's found a sport that they're finally happy to, to play, the parents are just so relieved <laughs> uh, that they're enjoying it. And I said, well, the other thing is it's obviously indoors, air-conditioned, like you've chosen the right sports. So. <laughs> <All good. laughs> and I dare say with Victor Wembanyama hitting the NBA, basketball participation and excitement is only going to go up. So it's it's an exciting time to be involved in basketball, isn't it? Yeah, and, and obviously NBA uh, finals just around the corner for uh, Denver and Miami. So I'm looking forward to that and great time for hoops. Love it. Who's your tip? Um, oh, it's tough. I'd love to see Denver get it. You know, never never won one in their history. So how good would that be for uh, Djokovic to be able to claim an NBA championship? I do like Jimmy Butler though. He's uh he's got he's got the stuff. So happy for either one, but I'm going for Denver. Amen. Thanks so much again, Matt. You're a bloody legend. Uh, we wish you all the best and we look forward to the next time we speak to you. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. Catch up. So, Shui, because we've had so many interviews lately, we haven't kind of talked about a lot of stuff that's been going on. We've barely talked about the conference finals at all, have we? The conference finals are. Well, they're done. <laughs> yes. No, obviously, we have had a lot of other stuff to talk about besides that. But yeah, really, really interesting. Very much a tale of two conferences. So we have our finalists. Denver and Miami will be playing off. I wish I kept true to my comment that I made at the beginning of May when I said it looked like it was going to be a Denver-Miami. And then I got seduced by Jason Tatum's incredible performance, it's got to be said, against Philly in a back-to-back elimination game. What a weird series. Where do you want to go? I mean, they're both interesting series for different reasons, aren't they? Where do we start? We've probably got to start with the Eastern Conference. I mean, that's probably the crazier of the two. We very nearly saw history made in one of the wildest series that I can really remember. A team like Miami looking so comfortably the better side for the first three games. I mean, okay, the margins weren't particularly great in the first couple of games, but game three, that 26-point domination, Boston just looked done. They looked like they had nothing left in the tank. They looked like they had no answers, no ideas where to go. Missoula looked like he didn't have any sort of game plan. Yeah, he did look clueless, didn't he? The zone. The zone was a major... Re- they they just couldn't bust the zone. Yep. They couldn't hit threes. Mm-hmm. Not a good recipe for it. They, literally, they died by the sword they lived by, didn't they? The yes. three-point shot. And they were woeful, particularly in those last two games. Yep. 
but but six of the seven games were won by the road team. Yeah, and that isn't that crazy. But that's true to form because I think the previous year there was something very similar where the vast majority of those games between those two teams were won by the away team. And they've faced off three of the last four Eastern Conference finals, haven't they? Mm. So, yeah. But yeah, it was it was an incredible series. I mean, as I say, like I think for me, if you looked at each individual game, I reckon I tipped maybe two of the seven games right. Yeah, right. Because right. I think. Both, yeah, we probably thought, oh, okay, Boston will handle it at home. When they lost game one, you thought, okay, big game from Jimmy Butler, fair enough. You get to game two and you think, yep, Boston will make the adjustments. doesn't happen. Then it goes to Miami and you think, well, surely Boston will show up now, so they'll win this one. And then when they lose game three, you think, oh. Okay, sweep. Sweep. Yeah, yeah, or five. Yeah, (laughs) so game five and game six. The thing is, though, once they won game four, I think a lot of people dared to dream that, you know what? This team is so much better on paper than the Miami team. Healthier too. And healthier. There's every possibility they win this in seven. Oh, I think a lot of people were expecting... ESPN's predictor was was still predicting Boston when they were down 3 nothing, 71% or something ridiculous. Yeah. That last game though. I mean, wow. Okay. Jason Tatum hurt his ankle on basically the first play of the entire game. But that was insipid, wasn't it? That was, I mean, some people paid $32,000 for courtside seats to see their team lose basically by 20 at home in a game seven when they were on the verge of breaking history. It's just remarkable. I think the thing that is craziest to me is someone of the talent of Jalen Brown having the same amount of field goals as, as turnovers, eight. Yes. Eight turnovers. Yep. That just can't happen. No. Can't happen. Well, especially when you, the big banana goes down. Well, he didn't go down. But he was clearly hobbled and he was, Jalen had to step up. And to his credit, in the presser, he said at the end, most of that's on me. Yeah. And he's young. To put it into perspective, like I saw a Bill Barnwell tweet recently Tatum just finished his age 24 season, Brown just finished his age 26 season. In Pippen's age 24 and Jordan's age 26, they also lost a game seven by 19 points, oh, funnily right. enough. people Because they've been to the finals or conference finals so many times in the last few years, people forget how young these guys are. Mm. So I guess one of the key questions is, do you blow it up? I don't know if they'll have a choice because there's a lot of rumours and a lot of talk that Brown might have played his last game for the Celtics. And this is why I kept saying throughout the latter stages of the season, does he have half a foot out the door? Because... I don't know. There was some weird stuff. Since the Kevin Durant rumours, he seemed to not be as happy. And But however, I heard yesterday Brian Windhorst said that they'll almost certainly sign him to the Mega Max extension, mm. the Supermax. So if he's willing to take it, you obviously have to. Like He's an incredible talent. Obviously, yeah, had a horrible game seven. Didn't shoot the three ball particularly well. Uh, I mean, that game seven, one of nine from deep. And there were a couple of other games where he and Tatum combined for not many from a lot. So that's, that's I guess, what they've got to look at is finding guys that are able to potentially do something else when the three's not dropping. And I think that was the biggest issue. As you know, as you said, they very much died by the three in that game seven, nine of 42 as a team. Oh. At a point, and look, everyone talks about when you talk about the history of horrible three point shooting, a lot of people will go back to that Houston Rockets team that missed 27 straight. And I remember screaming at the TV at the time, like, find another way. Yeah, don't don't die by it, get to the basket. You've got a great guy in James Harden who can get to the basket, and these two can do the same thing. Obviously, Tatum didn't quite have the same explosive nature because he was hurt. But when you've got Jalen Brown taking nine of his 23 shots from deep and not hitting a very, very high percentage, I mean, 11%, you've got to find some other way to get in. And They lacked imagination, didn't they? they? It's kind of on Missoula a bit. Like I'm a a little bit ageist when it comes to coaches. Like if you're a team that's in a championship window, I'd be hiring a guy that's been and done it before. I would not be hiring a guy who's, what, 34 or whatever he is. Like apparently Al Horford's basically doing half the coaching in timeouts and... I don't have anything against the guy. Like, I wish him all the best. But I don't know if this was the gig for his first coaching. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, There's been guys like Spolstra who came into it pretty young, and now he's doing very well, of course. His sixth final appearance, finals appearance. Yeah, I mean, he was blessed, though. He had some very good Oh, he did. Off, he but... inherited a good team, no doubt about that. But he's he's a better coaching mind, I think. Mm. I mean, again, Missoula's young. But, I, yeah, if I if I had a team in a championship window, I would not be hiring a guy that young and that inexperienced. I really wouldn't. 
I think there's um, there's a few things to come out of this that are, are really disappointing for me though for Boston. It's the lack of the ability to think on the on the fly. The fact that Grant Williams and Robert Williams were playing such small amounts of minutes. He had Al Horford played more minutes than those two combined in Game Seven. It just doesn't make any sense. Malcolm Brogdon seven minutes. Yeah, I mean Brogdon's a bit banged up. Williams is a bit. Uh, Time Lord is a bit banged up. But you could, he was still he was effective. He was still getting stuff done. I, so I just don't get it. I really don't. Yeah, I, yeah. I just think there's there's got to be more to it than just playing Brown, Tatum, Smart, Derek White, and Al Horford. Now Derek White was superb throughout most of the series. Oh, one of their best players throughout the whole playoffs. Obviously, the reason they get to a game seven with that incredible putback at the end of game six. But yeah, just nothing. Well, we got to talk about that. We that don't. was. I mean, even though it went seven. It was actually kind of a shit series, wasn't it? Like in the West, it, it was a sweep, but it was way more entertaining. I'll take that sweep over the seven kind of blowouts, you know, or six out of the seven were blowouts. You know what I mean? But yeah, that game six was nuts, wasn't it? It was. It had everything. It just, yeah, it felt like right at the end, Jimmy Butler had once again pulled the rabbit out of the hat and condemned Boston to to going off and, and having their summer. But it's one of those things, though. The, the commentator said, you got to watch... The, the inbounder. Yeah, yeah. We've seen it happen that many times over the years. And Derek and was it was it Duncan Robertson? He did not have a great finish. He it's, played an okay game. Max Struess. Oh, was Struess was it. Because I was going to say, Robertson had a decent game, but he had a really bad finish. He missed two wide open threes that pretty much would have put the nail in the coffin. And then I thought he might have been the inbounder. Because the other thing, did you notice on the weak side, Tatum had got to the rim too. Uh, yeah, I someone actually pointed that out on Twitter because I was thinking, well, and I'd said to, uh, to someone, I think it was uh, it was NBA Bo, funnily enough, that's the only bounce that could have hurt them. And someone's like, actually, Tatum was coming yeah. the other side. Yeah, like, yeah. Okay. So the Boston players were, they just crashed the board spectacularly well. Mm-hmm. And it, it just rimmed out the perfect way, didn't it? Yeah. And, and look, the, the Tatum one makes sense because they, they were playing him that hard to stop him getting the ball that he essentially back cut to the basket to get what would have been an easy putback. But, oh, God. At that point, I think we all thought, well, this is it. Boston are winning this. Well, you didn't give Miami a chance in Game 7. I, I gave them I gave them a chance if they started better and they did start you, you better. You gave them a 1% chance. Did I say 1, did I? I think I? it was 1. It was either 1 or 3. Right. Was, I, I, I said if they started well, yeah, I, should have, I should have been a bit more demonstrative because I did. I gave them more than 1, 1% chance in my mind. But because it was ultimately it was a battle between a team that's super disciplined that looks after the ball plays hard versus a team that thinks they can just turn up and win a sloppy with the ball take poor shots not always disciplined i mean just launching threes without any ball movement it's like it's so funny everyone's talking about oh lakers boston would have been a better finals or ratings and all this bullshit do you know what no lakers boston would not have been a better finals the way these teams were playing I'm glad it's Denver and Miami. Mm. I really am. And it's so funny you talk about, again, the three-point shot. So Miami actually took, in the series, 62 less three-pointers. They made eight more. Wow. There you go. So you talk about a team in Boston that shot 30%, and then you look at Miami and they shoot 43. Like, that's yeah. a big discrepancy for a team that is supposedly a great three-point shooting team. To give up that sort of, it's just, it's not good. It's not good. Miami, obviously, you know, we've got to give them a ton of credit. When you consider the top six guys in their scoring, Max Struess, Duncan Robinson, Gabe Vincent, Caleb Martin, all undrafted players. Oh, it's remarkable, isn't it? It's ridiculous. They could almost do a starting five of undrafted. And Jimmy Butler is kind of one of those. Pick 30. Yeah. Chip on the shoulder kind of yep. players too. Yeah. yeah. Bam Adebayo at pick 13, I think he was. Him and Kyle Lowry, I thought I think Lowry was a late first. Well, Cody player. Zeller's their highest pick player. He was like third or fourth pick. Oh, he would be, yeah. Now, yeah. now that Oladipo's done. Yeah, true. Good point. Yeah. So, yeah, look, to get all of that out of all of these undrafted players, quite frankly, I think Caleb Martin was absolutely screwed to not win MVP of that series. I agree. Hats off to him. And look, there is a school of thought that says, well, it's easier for Caleb Martin because he gets open shots because everyone are doubling Jimmy and, and blitzing Jimmy and all that sort of thing. But he went from averaging nine points per game in the regular season to scoring 135 points on 60% shooting. So to put it in perspective, only Shaq, Dwayne Wade, LeBron James, Dwight Howard, Kareem, and Sean Kemp 
have done that in the last 40 years, according to CBS Sports. Yep. He definitely should have won MVP, I agree. 100%. Yeah, yep. well, that's it. So, yeah, 60% from the field, 48.9 from three as well. That's the other thing. Hitting those not always wide-open shots. Like, he did actually have a lot of attention as the series went on, and he started hitting a lot of tougher shots, a lot of step-backs, throwing those big head fakes and then taking a sidestep. Like, it was incredible. Only seven turnovers in the seven games as well. So wow. even though he was playing nearly 36 minutes a game, only one turnover a game, which you compare that to, you know, Bam Adebayo had three times as many. <laughs> yeah, he had an okay series, but just not, wasn't amazing. But that's why it's even more important that Martin stepped up because there were times when the offense was spluttering. They just couldn't really, you know, couldn't get things going. Butler maybe not shooting a, a great clip and Martin just would hit big shot after big shot. And that was like game six. Butler and Bam were both playing like shit and yet they still nearly won it. Yeah. It's just crazy. I, I think he was absolutely robbed. Okay, yeah. If you look at the numbers on the page, you know, Butler had nearly 25, seven and a half and six. So his numbers were good, but I just, yeah, I think when the, the series was up in the air and there to be won, I think Martin was better. I agree. I test. Martin should have won it. Yeah. I agree. And I think the vote was 5-4. Should we go to the West? So that one, obviously, I mean, that's quite far in the rearview mirror it is. now. I believe, who played? I can't remember. <laughs> I remember the last time we talked about it, I hadn't seen game one yet. And you talked about a, a three that LeBron took in a close game. And you're absolutely right. It was a poor decision. Yep. It was it was what Ryan Rossillo referred to as old man. Was it Ryan Rossillo? Or uh, it might have been Jacoby, actually. Referring to it as an old man pull-up shot because yeah, you're too tired, too tired to do anything yeah. yeah which is a shame because they might have won that game they might have pinched it i think it was the fourth lowest margin tied for fourth lowest margin in a sweep in nba history mm. great well, series it was really entertaining it was great i mean again you know it, it's one of these things where there's a little bit too much pressure being put on I don't want to say just lebron and ad because austin reeves had a really good series shot the ball really well did some great things, but... What's your Austin Reeves comp? It's funny, because when Alex brought up Adam Morrison, I was I was always like, oh, what's... Is Austin Reeves the guy they wanted Adam Morrison to be? Kind of thing. But Adam Morrison shot more threes. I find it hard to, to find a comp. Bill Simmons says he's a taller Jeff Hornacek. Oh, Jeff Hornacek was bloody good. Was... I think Reeves could be bloody I good. Reeves, all he, said could, he could be. I mean, obviously, now... Look, we always talk about it. You only have one season to sneak up on people. True. And it's, if he can do the same, I mean, he's averaged 20 points a game in that series. If he comes out next season and averages high teens, low 20s. Once the money's been paid. Fair enough. Because often guys, when they cash those checks, yeah. they start to, uh, yeah. And look, he doesn't strike me as the sort of guy who will do that. No, he's pretty intense. And yeah, he, you know, he's one of these guys that is running around saying, I'm him, all of that sort of stuff. So I think he will be fine. But yeah, I, as I say, there just wasn't enough from the other guys. You know, one of the, the really, really great stats that I didn't realize, you know, sort of listening into the, the Throwback Hoops episode last week, which again, shout out to those boys, did a, a great job. D'Angelo Russell, 25 total points in four games. Yeah, I think he had maybe two good playoff games the entire playoffs. It's I, I like to oh, stick it, the boot in every time. It, yeah, I, I mean, I wouldn't. I wouldn't keep him if I were them, to be honest. No. It's yeah. just they it, did not get good point guard play. Schroeder wasn't spectacular. Schroeder right? was terrible. Yeah. Russell was terrible. Lonnie Walker didn't back up the Golden State series. He didn't get many minutes, did he? He didn't get that many minutes. No, I'll give you I'll definitely give you that. Um they, speaking of ex Spurs players, do you know this will be the first final since two thousand and four without a ex Spur player playing or a Spur if the Spurs were in the finals that year? Interesting. According to Spurs Muse. Well, yeah. I haven't verified. They did the list, though. So. Yeah, no, I certainly can't see anybody on the, the Nuggets team. And I, I don't imagine there was anyone on Miami that I can think of because most of them were drafted by them. So, yeah, interesting. Again, it's been spoken about. If you look at the top two, obviously, Murray and Jokic, they slightly outplayed LeBron and AD, which is probably where the difference lies. You know, Murray was ridiculous. That 32.6 rebound, five assists stat line on the ridiculous clip from the field. Oh, I'd say they did more than slightly outplayed. I, I think they did outplay. But, I mean, LeBron was 
fantastic in that first half of that game four where he had his career high for playoffs in a half. 38, yeah. was it, I think? Uh, 31. 31, was it? Oh, yeah. is that, oh, I thought, for some reason, I thought uh, it was nearly 40. He had, had nine in the second half, if, right, I, if, right. I, if I remember correctly. Right. But, but he'd run out of... In the second half, he didn't do a hell of a lot because he ran out of steam. Yeah. This is he's a, an old guy. He's an old guy. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it does. It just comes down to a few less passengers for Denver, really. I mean, close games, sometimes it is just that one or two big plays. I mean, Jokic was huge down the stretch, as he always is. But as I say, getting good performances out of other guys. Kentavious Caldwell Pope was superb all series, shot the ball beautifully. Bruce Brown, again, just continues to be that that sort of revelation now that he's in a system that kind of fits his game a lot more. They're not trying to play him as some hybrid stretch four as a guy who's like six foot four or something. Yeah, yeah, no, he's a backup point guard, basically. As they did with Brooklyn. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. it is nice to see that. You know, Aaron Gordon, okay, the numbers don't really jump off the page, but... Great on the road. And you need your second-tier players to play well on the road. He was really good in games three and four. Yeah. Really good. And just eye test as well. Yeah, he was he was good. He was solid. So, yeah, there's enough, there's enough stuff going there. Whereas, as, as we say, you know, the, the other guys for the Lakers, the Schroeders, the D'Angelo Russells, the Lonnie Walkers, all of those guys just didn't really show up. And so when you compare a team that had six guys in double figures versus a team that only had four, just not enough help. And that's why they swept. Yep. Yeah, great series, though. Nikola Jokic, 27.8 points, 14.5 rebounds, 11.8 assists. Only three other players have averaged a triple-double in the conference finals or what was then called the divisional finals back in the day. You want to have a crack? Jeez. I've seen this, dra- this graphic that many times. NBA history. Magic Johnson was one of them. Yep. 1982, um, 83 versus my Spurs. 17.5 points, 10.5 boards and 14 assists. Yeah. Will Chamberlain did it. Yep. 66, 67 versus Boston. 21.6 points, 32 rebounds yeah. and 10 assists. Ah, it's the third one that's escaping me. And it's really annoying me because I should remember this. I honestly can't think of it. Well, you've done well. I don't know if I would have got it. it. I mean, it's the sort of guy you would think of. I'll give you a clue. The sort of guy you would think of when you think about triple doubles. Russell Westbrook. A no, little bit no, earlier. Not... No, no, no. In that ballpark. A little bit earlier than... I mean, they, they played... There was overlap. Oh, Jason Kidd. Jason Kidd, 0102 yeah. versus Boston. I do yeah. remember that now. As soon as, as soon as you said that, I was like, yeah, it's Jason Kidd. 17.5, 11.2, and 10.2 assists. So there you go. So very good company. And my love for Jokic is well documented by now. Yeah, people could see the bloody wall that you've got. Much run. Quite a few clippings. Uh, I think that looks like a lock of hair. Oh, my. I love how you looked at that white wall. And, yeah, no, right. and then I looked as if, I actually looked as if it was different. All right, who you got? Uh, Denver in five. I I can't see a world where Miami can stop Jokic. I mean, it's one thing going up against Anthony Davis, who's a little bit taller, a little bit better than Bam Adebayo and still torching him. Adebayo is going to give up more more size. Okay, He's still very athletic and he's still very quick, but I, I can't see him being able to stay in front. And if they double him, pick your poison. You've then got all of these shooters. You know, Murray's shooting the lights out. As I said, Caldwell Pope shot an incredible clip. If you look at this the series, Murray, Jokic, Porter Jr., Caldwell Pope, and Jeff Green all shot 40% or more from three. So you can't leave these guys open. That's a winning recipe, yeah. And that's it. And, and as it was, Bruce Brown shot 36%. So it's not like he was particularly far off 40 there's the red blue and yellow of the uniform and the green and browns off the bench mm. the denver nuggets very, very colorful yeah so they've got their rotation they've got, sorted they've got brown and brown yeah i know well he pronounces it brown they're both yeah, yeah. <laughs> brains and brown yeah he's in brains and brown how's this did you hear that it's the 19th nba finals for pat riley as a player coach or executive and to put it in perspective it's season 76. It's one in, so one in four, yeah. nearly one in four. No, it is one in four. It's exactly one well, in four. Well, it is two. It's exactly one yeah, in four. Yeah, so bloody hell. Like, just yeah. <laughs> how crazy is that? Pretty good. Oh, insane. I, too, will pick Denver in five. I'll give Miami one of three or four. They'll get one at home it in three or four. It could be a gentleman's sweep. Yeah, I think it could be, too. Oh. Yeah. But like I've said, all playoffs, nothing would surprise me. People have been discrediting and not giving Miami the props they deserve all finals long, all playoffs long. 
So, but I do think Denver are just too talented. They're very disciplined. And I don't think Miami's zone will be as damaging to Denver as it was to to Boston. And I, and I think Mike Malone's a better coach too. So Oh, absolutely. Well, the, the other thing as well, though, that I did want to mention is that it's, obviously, we've, we've spoken about the talent, that side of things, but it's also the size. Yes, you know, yes. Mark Porter Jr. is huge. He's a legit 6'10". You're right. Aaron Gordon is huge. Yep, yep. Jeff Green is huge. And Bam's only about 6'9"-ish. Yeah, no, you're right. They are a tall team. But they also... Yeah. You know, because Kevin Love's not really been playing because he got injured. So well, he's old too. He's old. He's past it. After Bam Adebayo, who do they have in the bigs? Roll out your Donis Haslam. Roll out your Donis Haslam. Roll out Cody Zeller. Yeah, like, who was there for spot minutes, but didn't? I don't think he played in game six or seven. I so. don't think he did, but yeah. you put Porter Jr., you put... Aaron Gordon, a Jeff Green against those guys, they are going to feast. They're basically taller than them at every position. They just, are. Yeah. They yeah. Are. Yep. Taller and realistically, with the exception of Jimmy Butler, they're more skilled at every position as well. Yeah, probably. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I just, as much as I would love to see this be a competitive series, I won't be surprised if it's over quickly. No, I wouldn't either. I, I, yeah, I'm looking forward to it and I'd love to see Denver get a win. But yeah, I think they probably will quite comfortably. Yeah couple of off-court things, I guess. Carmelo Anthony's retired. It's not breaking news, but we haven't talked about it yet. Massive career. I think the thing that's most disappointing about this is that he didn't get to go out on his own terms. The fact that he kind of bounced around the league for a couple of seasons towards the end and nobody picked him up to give him that last hurrah, that's what disappoints me the most. If you hang around too long, it does happen though, doesn't it? Of course, of course. But he does deserve, I think, for what he brought to the game, he did deserve that last hurrah, you know, whether it be, you know, Udonis Haslam sitting in a rocking chair. Yeah, I would have thought he could have maybe helped your team. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Just that instant offense off the bench. Yeah. He's, he was always almost. I would have thought this Miami team might, you know, yeah. might have used him. Absolutely. But, they could have. Yeah. So, yeah, real shame, but an incredible, incredible effort to be top 10 all time in scoring. It's, it's a great effort. Now, what is breaking news? Monty Williams has signed a massive deal with Detroit. Massive. Yeah, 13 million a season for six seasons. That is putting a lot of... Fa- and look, Monty Williams, I think, is one of the best coaches in the league. He was very much a, a victim of this thing that I always talk about, the championship or bust, where you need to deliver a championship with a team of that much talent or you get basically shown the door. And players seem to like him, but I think there was some weird stuff going with DeAndre Ayton, maybe. So... It's a really, if you look at that Phoenix team, funnily enough, there's a lot of really weird and not so great sort of mentalities and personalities. personalities. That's, that's <laughs> the word I was looking for. Thank you. Yeah, just, I don't know. Durant's always been a bit of a diva. I think Devin Booker's a bit of a diva as well. You can't hit free throws, you know, in an empty stadium with a mascot. Yeah. Good point. Good point. So, yeah, there's yeah. a lot of, I don't know, there's a lot of big personalities on that team. I think he'll do well. Is he going to turn them into a playoff team? Probably not. Well, I mean, they've got a decent young roster and they'll have draft picks the next couple of years as well. So there's good reason to believe they're building. Oh, they're definitely building. But I just, I don't know. I just worry. He needs to develop guys like Cade Cunningham, Jaden Ivey. These guys need to be... They need Cunningham to hit. Yeah, they do. They they do. So there's there's a few... And fuck, if he can do something with Killian Hayes, that'd be nice. So yeah, I, I don't know. I just can't see them being any sort of a force for several years. Oh, that's fair. Yeah. At least a few, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Halfway through his contract. Pretty much, yeah. But, I mean, he's probably a good player development coach. So, and this kind of goes back to what I was saying before with Missoula. It depends where you are as a team. Your coach is kind of dependent on the context of your situation. Are you building the team up? Are you in a window? Are you a couple of years away from a window? How many players are you away from a window? All those sort of things. He'll have time, he'll have patience, and that's maybe a good thing. Oh, that's one thing he will absolutely have an abundance of is time. You can't imagine. When when you're looking at a team that as at the moment has, well, let, let's look at the guys that are 21 and under. So you've got Cunningham at 21, Jalen Duran at 19, Killian Hayes, Jaden Ivey, uh, both 21. Then you've got Isaiah Stewart, James Wiseman at 22. RJ Hampton's only 22. Yeah, so Wiseman could still hit 
Uh, I think Duran could be a good player too. I quite liked him in the draft. So even Marvin Bagley. I was going to say, have we given up on Bagley? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. He shows the odd flash every now and then. He really does. He really does. So, yeah, I mean, it is a team that has a lot of potential, but potential doesn't win championships. No. So we'll see. But they're not expecting one out of Detroit anytime soon. No. Now, there's been some weird Twitter things, Stewie. One of them is the Eric Lewis, the referee, who has supposedly had a burner account. Defending himself. Yeah. (laughs) And, like, when the news kind of hit, the account stopped posting, which is a pretty good sign that maybe it was actually him. There's more water under that bridge, so we won't go there now. But have you seen the Josh Hart tweets? I haven't actually, no. You mentioned this before. I have not seen them. Have you all ever tasted your significant other's breast milk asking for a friend? Oh, my. To which Jalen Brunson tweeted, nah, bro, no BS, delete my number. (laughs) That's good. CJ McCollum, on the other hand, said, sick conversation, heard it goes down like almond milk. To which Josh replied, not going to lie to you, bro, it's better. Wow. (laughs) Okay, okay. Uh, I was always opening a can of worms here, but I had to address it because Josh Hart, great trade for the Knicks, but yeah, weird Twitter. Chucking in your coffee. Alright, Stewie, you know what that music means. Final thoughts time. Well, Nath, I don't know about you, but I am so incredibly excited to see an NBA Finals that doesn't include the Lakers, Celtics, or the Warriors. I agree. I do agree. That is one really, really big positive I take out of the last week or two. I hope some casual fans can actually see how good these other teams and players are. Because Denver are so good to watch. They they really are. They play very similar ball to the Spurs, actually. I think there's a lot of crossovers as to why I like them. They they really are. So, no, really, really great stuff. Looking forward to it. Until next time, I'm Nate. And I'm Stu. We are the Sportplex.